BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. True crime. Unsolved cases, strange disappearances. Join me as we travel through the timeline of some of the darkest acts in human history. I'm your host, Kevin Eustace, and welcome to the second season of The Deadly Countdown. Episode 8, Albert Fish, The Brooklyn Vampire. Cannibalism. It's a word which conjures horror, blood, gruesomeness, and a basic moral wrong that should never be done. But amongst the animal kingdom, it's commonplace. Even in today's society, a cat, for example, if it gives birth to a litter, has been known to eat the frailest of its young if it believes it's not going to survive. Today, again in 2024, there are some regions of the world where after a loved one has passed on, it's custom to consume some of their flesh in order that that being will always be part of you. Throughout history, royal families in Europe would gorge on certain body parts of human beings in the hope it would bring them either a cure from a malady or some supernatural sense. 18th century English pharmacist Dr. Robert James recommended eating a cadaver's skin for difficult labour pains and hysteric afflictions, eating human fat to ease pain, and the consumption of human bone to treat everything from catarrh, flu, dysentery and diarrhoea. However, there is a main key difference between everything just discussed and the disgust we're about to uncover regarding Albert Fish. You see, each of the acts of cannibalism just described at the very least have a point, namely medical cures and always with a cadaver, never with a live being. Even in the cat situation, the cat is trying to remove what it believes 
may be a diseased part of the family before it can infect the stronger and healthier kittens. Even the groups of people who eat part of a deceased family member's flesh in order for them always to stay with them is kind of romantic in a gruesome way. Personally, personally, religion-wise, I'm a very lapsed Roman Catholic, and Catholicism in general is basically built on cannibalism. The Holy Eucharist and the Holy Wine at church itself, through the act of transmutation, by the faithful is believed to turn into the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And we devour it in the hope of eternal life. Yet if we ask the question to the general public, what sort of person eats flesh and drinks blood to gain eternal life? the answer 99% of the time will be a vampire. Certainly not a Catholic. However, all of the previous examples mentioned have their nuances, have their excuses and have their reasons. The person we're going to deal with today, yes, is a cannibal. But there is no rhyme nor reason. Not only are they a cannibal... But as you will hear, that is just one of the many psychotic traits. Now, before we jump into looking at Albert Fish, I need to, of course, thank our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, not only will you receive each and every episode both early and ad-free, but you can also gain exclusive access to the Patreon-only podcast, Cold Case. Cold Case is released each and every fortnight without fail. And we take a look at some of the most interesting cases that have never been solved throughout history, be them true crime or mystery. We've taken a look in the past at cases like the Black Dahlia murder. We've taken a look in the past at cases like the Black Dahlia murder, the D.B. Cooper disappearance, and more recently, the Dilatov Pass mystery. This week, we will take a deep dive into looking at the disappearance of 70s singer-songwriter Jim Sullivan. Did he just wander off into the desert? Or was he, in fact, abducted by UFOs? But on top of all of that, the greatest thing about our Patreon is its community. We're building a wonderful community of like-minded, true crime enthusiasts over at Patreon. And we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the deadly countdown. Just like these wonderful new team members have. Hannah, David P, Donald with a D, Kevin Charles, Amy Ramble, Lucifer Incorporated, Ronald, R-O-S, Deborah and Billy J. Thank you so much guys, your support truly means the world. So if you'd like early ad-free releases along with that Patreon-only podcast, Cold Case, head over to patreon.com forward slash The Deadly Countdown. But right now, it's time for Albert Fish, the Brooklyn Vampire. Let's start The Deadly Countdown. In the early decades of the 20th century, America faced a new kind of terror. 
one that shook the very foundations of societal norms and safety. You see, amidst the backdrop of this transformative era, one figure emerged who would embody the darker aspects of human nature. Albert Fish, infamously known as the Brooklyn Vampire. His crimes, a blend of the macabre and incomprehensible, not only horrified the nation, but also marked a pivotal moment in the annals of criminal psychology. This episode aims to unravel the complex and chilling story of Albert Fish. From his troubled childhood to his eventual demise, we will journey through the timeline of his life and crimes. This narrative is not just a recounting of the events, but an exploration into the abyss of the human psyche, a venture that challenges our understanding of morality and sanity. So let's take a delve into Fisher's early life, tracing the origins of his deviant behaviour and the factors that may have contributed to his transformation into one of history's most notorious criminals. Albert Fish was born on May the 19th, 1870, in Washington, D.C. Born into a family with a stark history of mental illness. Fish's early life was shadowed by the spectre of psychological instability. His family, with their significant history of mental health issues, had, for example, his uncle suffering with mania, a brother confined to a state mental hospital, and his sister was diagnosed with a mental affliction too. In addition, his mother would experience auditory hallucinations. This familial legacy of mental illness set a troubling backdrop for Albert's early years, and may well have played a role in his further psychological development. His father, Randall, was 75 at the time of Albert's birth, make of that what you will, and passed away when Albert was just five years old. His mother, Ellen, unable to cope with both the financial and emotional strain, placed him in an orphanage. And it was at this orphanage that Fish began to exhibit the first signs of disturbing behaviour but life in the orphanage was harsh and abusive. Albert was subjected to regular beatings. Like many children in traumatic situations, he developed a coping mechanism, but it was not a healthy one. He began to associate pain with pleasure, a dangerous and formative connection that would influence his later actions. His time at the orphanage also exposed him to numerous vices and perversions, further warping his already warped young mind. His mother soon retrieved him from the orphanage, but Fisher's behaviour did not improve. He began engaging in self-harm and other masochistic activities. His adolescence was marked by an increasing fascination 
with sadomasochism and a growing interest in obscene literature, particularly those involving cannibalism and mutilation. By his late teens, Fish had begun to exhibit clear signs of psychopathy. He started with petty thefts and acts of violence, but his sexual preferences also became increasingly deviant, focusing on children, which later turned him into a predatory figure. During this period, Fisher's mental health continued to deteriorate. He would experience hallucinations and delusions, claiming to hear voices. Now, despite these early signs of severe mental illness, Fish managed to maintain a semblance of normalcy, marrying in 1898 and going on to father six children. However, beneath the facade of a family man, Fish's true nature was festering. His desires, his fantasies became increasingly violent and grotesque, setting the stage for the horrific crimes he would go on to commit. Albert Fisher's transition from troubled childhood to criminal began very early in his adulthood. His criminal record started with the usual petty thefts, minor offences, but it was not long before his activities took the darker turn. But to anyone outside that family, they would just see a beautiful, caring family. Albert, his wife Anna Mary, who was nine years his junior, and their six children, Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John and Henry. Yes, to the outside world, Fish had the appearance of the ordinary, albeit somewhat eccentric, working-class man. But behind closed doors, his home life was far from conventional. He was known to be strict and at times cruel to his children. Now, although there is no evidence he abused his own children to the extent of his criminal acts against others, he did subject his children to bizarre behaviours such as encouraging them and their friends to paddle his buttocks with a nail-studded paddle, ironically the same one he would go on to use with his victims. This behaviour was indicative of his sadomasochistic tendencies, which he of course kept hidden as best he could from the wider world. However, the semblance of normalcy in Fisher's life began to unravel in 1917 when his wife, Anna, left him for another man. This abandonment, coupled with the stress of raising six children alone, may have exacerbated Fisher's mental instability and his descent into more severe criminal behaviour. Following Anna's departure, Fisher's home became increasingly disordered, a reflection of his declining mental state. Albert Fisher's dual life, that of a caring father and a ruthless predator, is a stark illustration of the complex nature of human psychology. 
To his neighbours and acquaintances, Fish was unassuming, even kind, often seen caring for his children. Yet, beneath this veneer of domesticity, he harboured dark, violent desires that he acted upon far from his family home. This contrast between his public and private personas made Fish particularly dangerous, as it allowed him to evade suspicion and continue his predatory behaviour for years. His ability to compartmentalise his life, presenting a facade of normalcy while indulging in extreme criminal activities, remains one of the most chilling aspects of his character. And as his personal life began to rot, Fish began indulging in more sinister pursuits. He started to lure children, often boys, under various pretexts, exposing them to his sadistic tendencies. These early crimes, though heinous, were merely a prelude to the more horrific acts he would later commit. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected Connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As the years passed, Fisher's actions grew increasingly depraved. He traversed the east coast of the U.S., his movements making it difficult for authorities to trace or link his crimes. Fisher's selection of victims was opportunistic. He preyed on those he perceived as vulnerable, often orphans or homeless children, believing they would not be missed. During this period, Fish also developed a morbid curiosity in cannibalism, often incorporating this theme into his fantasies and later his real-life crimes. His methods became more refined, more calculated, as he devised ways to abduct and torture his victims without arousing suspicion. 
Psychologically, Fish presented a complex and troubling picture. He was diagnosed with several mental disorders, including psychosis and sexual perversion. Psychiatrists who later examined him believed that his childhood experiences at the orphanage, combined with his family history of mental illness, contributed significantly to his disturbed psyche. Fish claimed to be driven by religious delusions, often stating that he was commanded by God to torture and mutilate children. He also exhibited symptoms of sadomasochism, gaining sexual pleasure from both inflicting and receiving pain. This dangerous blend of religious fanaticism, sadism and a lack of empathy for his victims made Fish one of the most disturbing figures in the annals of American crime. The true extent of Fisher's crimes during this period still remains unknown, as many of his own admissions were impossible to verify. However, it was the abduction of Grace Budd in 1928 that ultimately brought Fisher's reign of terror into the public eye and led to his eventual capture. The Budd family, residing in Manhattan, encountered Fish when he answered an advertisement placed by Grace's brother, Edward, seeking employment. Fish, using the alias Frank Howard, visited the Budd family under the pretense of offering Edward a job. However, upon seeing young Grace, Fish's sinister intentions shifted. Fish convinced the Buds to allow him to take Grace to a birthday party at his sister's home. The trusting family, swayed by Fish's appearance as a gentle elderly man, agreed. Tragically, this was the last time they saw Grace alive. Fish abducted her. Not to a birthday party, but to a house in Westchester County, where he committed his atrocious act. Initially, the investigation into Grace's disappearance yielded few results. The police pursued several leads, but none led to Grace or her abductor. The Budd family was left in agonising uncertainty, their daughter's fate unknown, and the case grew cold. Little hope of finding the perpetrator or understanding what happened to Little Grace. But the case took a harrowing turn in November 1934, when the Budd family received an anonymous letter. The letter, penned with a disturbing level of detail and cruelty, described the fate of Grace Budd. The writer who was later identified as Albert Fish, confessed to abducting, killing and cannibalising Grace. This letter, grotesque in its content, was a pivotal piece of evidence that reinvigorated the investigation. Fish's letter, filled with horrifying details and a confession of guilt, provided the police with the lead 
they desperately needed. The stationery used for the letter was traced back to a rooming house, which eventually led police to Albert Fish. The breakthrough in the case came when Fish was apprehended by Detective William F. King. Fish didn't even resist arrest, and upon questioning, he immediately confessed to the murder of Grace Budd. His immediate confession was not only a shock to the police, but also to the nation, as the details of his crime emerged. The arrest of Albert Fish on December 13, 1934, marked the end of a long and harrowing search. William F. King, the detective who had been pivotal in tracing the origins of the letter, apprehended him in Harlem. Upon his arrest, Fish was calm, a chilling contrast to the gravity of his crime. The revelations around Fish's arrest and his confession to the murder and cannibalization of Grace Budd sent shockwaves through the public. The media coverage was both extensive and shocking, with newspapers detailing the gruesome nature of the crime. The public was both horrified yet fascinated by Fish. As seemingly frail and elderly man, yet one capable of such unspeakable acts. His arrest brought a mix of relief and revulsion. Relief he was no longer a threat, and revulsion that someone of his age, someone who looked so kindly, could have such evil in his heart to carry out these gruesome crimes. Following his arrest, Albert Fish confessed to detectives about his long history of criminal activity. He admitted to molesting over 100 children and detailed other murders he'd committed. Fish's confessions, often graphic and disturbing, painted a picture of a deeply disturbed individual whose crimes spanned decades, possibly across several states. Amongst his confessions was the murder of four-year-old Billy Gaffney, in 1927, another case that had remained unsolved. Fish described the crime with a level of detail that left no doubt to his guilt. However, due to the lack of physical evidence, many of his confessions could not be conclusively verified, leaving the true extent of his crimes and the true number of his victims shrouded in mystery. The nation grappled with the reality of Fisher's crimes. His ability to evade capture for so long raised questions about the effectiveness of law enforcement and the understanding of criminal psychology at the time. Fisher's case also highlighted the dangers that could lurk within seemingly harmless individuals, which challenged societal perceptions of crime and criminals. The trial of Albert Fish, which commenced on March the 11th, 1935, was a sensation that captured the nation's attention. Fish was charged with the kidnapping and murder of Grace Budd, 
with the trial taking place in White Plains, New York. The courtroom was packed daily, with the public and media eager to witness the proceedings against one of the most notorious criminals of the time. The prosecution, led by Westchester County DA Albert F. Gallagher, presented a straightforward case. They relied heavily on Fisher's own confessions, particularly the gruesome letter he sent through to the Bud family, which horrifically detailed the murder of Grace. The physical evidence, though limited, was compelling enough to link Fish to the crime, including the tracing of the letter's stationery back to him. Fisher's defence attorney, James Dempsey, faced a daunting task. He opted for an insanity defence, arguing that Fish was mentally ill and therefore could not be held responsible for his actions. Dempsey presented evidence of Fish's long history of psychiatric problems, including his hallucinations and bizarre behaviour. The trial featured extensive testimonies from psychiatrists. The defence's experts testified about Fisher's abnormal behaviour, his obsession with religion and human sacrifice, and his sexual perversions. They argued that Fish suffered from a psychotic break, rendering him incapable of understanding the criminal aspects of his actions. Conversely, the prosecution psychiatrists contended that while Fish did have abnormal tendencies, he was sane under the law. They argued that Fish's calculated actions, including his ability to evade capture, indicated a level of awareness and understanding of his crimes. After ten days of intense trial proceedings and only one hour of jury deliberation, Albert Fish was found guilty of the murder of Grace Budd. The speed and decisiveness of the verdict reflected the jury's rejection of the insanity defence, despite the evident mental disturbances that Fish clearly exhibited. Fish was sentenced to death by electric chair, a sentence that was carried out on January the 16th 1936, in Sing Sing Prison. His execution marked the end of a case that had both fascinated and horrified the nation. The trial of Albert Fish had a long-lasting impact on the fields of criminal psychology and forensic investigation. It raised critical questions about the nature of insanity in the context of criminal responsibility. The case also highlighted the need for better understanding and treatment of mental illnesses, especially in those with violent tendencies. Albert Fisher's legacy is a tapestry with threads of horror and disbelief, a legacy that has irrevocably altered our perception of evil. His crimes, monstrous in nature, have transcended mere notoriety, to become a dark benchmark in the annals of criminal history. As we stand at the crossroads of understanding, evil and mystery, 
The tale of Albert Fish leaves us with more questions than answers. His life and crimes, a labyrinth journey into the darkest corners of the human psyche, remind us that the nature of evil can often be an enigma, elusive, unfathomable. In the shadowy realms of criminal psychology, Fish's story stands as a chilling testament to the mysteries that still evade our grasp. The haunting echo of this exploration, a reminder that in pursuit of understanding the minds of those like Fish, we tread a path filled with shadows and unknowns, and maybe things we don't want to know. The legacy of Albert Fish is not just a chronicle of horror, but a suspenseful narrative that challenges us to continuously seek answers, knowing full well that some aspects of human nature may forever remain an enigma, shrouded in the murky veil of mystery. And I think we'll wrap it up there for the crimes of Albert Fish, the Brooklyn Vampire, and I'd like to thank you all for choosing to spend your time with me right here on your show, The Deadly Countdown. Next week, we reach the penultimate episode of Season 2. And believe me, you won't want to miss it. But right now, for Albert Fish, the Brooklyn Vampire, let's stop the clock. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.